Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name is Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering, if you have a calendar handy, next week we do have a Friday the 13th. And as sequel experts in the podcast universe, we have to cover, by law I think, we have to cover a Friday the 13th. And we're going to be traveling with Mr. Voorhees into space for Jason X. This installment has so many cool behind-the-scenes things. Uh, the fact that this movie was sort of made to push to get Freddy vs. Jason sort of you know greenlit. Because it was going through rewrite after rewrite after rewrite. But then also they had this conundrum. How can we do this movie and not mess up the end of Jason Goes to Hell? We'll talk about that a lot more and then break down the movie, of course. And man, this you know, us in the last few weeks, we were like, man, we need to find somebody to interview. And sometimes we don't know. It's not like we have the, uh, the, the, the choice of who is going to be kind enough to, you know, spare their time to chat with us. But I'm so happy because I got the opportunity for the first time to chat with a script supervisor and you can not even guess what goes into you know their day to day. But Daniela Sione, <laughs> script supervisor has worked in, 10 different countries. Man, she's done it all just from this job that when you hear about how she started it as a script supervisor, it is, it just like happenstance. The fact that she went from one role to another role and she loved it. And that's what I love about doing these interviews. And the fact that Jim Morrison Kind of inspired her, not, not by music, by another thing that I never knew about Jim Morrison. So that was pretty neat. And then we talked about, obviously, the role, you know, the, the amazing projects that she worked on over the years. She worked on Gossip, The Boondock Saints, Jason X, which we talk a bunch about in it. So that's pretty interesting. And then also, man, she's worked on the USA Network hit shows Suits, Covert Affairs, she worked on Triple X, Return of Xander Cage, Shazam, man, Red Notice, and so much more. She's done it all. And she also, since the pandemic started, when things shut down, she was like, man, I'm going to take this knowledge. Because every so often over the years, she was passing along knowledge to up and coming and other script supervisors. So she started an online course called, you know, Become a Director Whisperer. So I'll put the link in the episode notes if you want to check it out. She's helped out so many people just in the last few years. She's got like people roles on working on 50 different projects, some big name ones that's on her website. So you'll see it on there. And also she does comedy writing classes. She did stand up comedy uh, for about eight years, but man, she's a lot of, she's a lot of fun and very infectious. I can see why people want to take her class and travel from all around the world just to take her class with her face-to-face because there are options to do it online but man so much fun and she also has a youtube channel i'll make sure to put that in the episode notes so do me a favor before i start the interview please subscribe if you're new welcome it's great to see you i love your haircut and rate us wherever you're listening and be sure to follow us on all social media at sequels only because you don't want to miss next week's sequel review of jason x it's gonna be a lot of fun it's really going to make Jamie probably pull his hair out. And uh, and I enjoy that a lot. So without further ado, here is script supervisor, Daniela Sione. Wow, so, so in Jersey, there's a horror museum? Charles Mineo. Charles Mineo on uh, Facebook. He has the, the shop. Oh, man. Jersey's not that big. So yeah, <laughs> I gotta, I'm right in the central Jersey, so... It's got to be the the same shot no matter where. That's awesome. You're from Toronto? That's where you grew up too? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Toronto's a beautiful city. Like I told you in that email, like we got married. We did like our own like, because my wife's sister had a huge like big wedding and we got married two weeks later. We're uh-huh. like, we had already had a plan, but we're like, you know, let's just do us. So we did the Niagara Falls <laughs> on the Canada side, then went to Toronto for a night. And then like four months later, we went to Iceland. On a honeymoon. I but, love Iceland. Uh, <laughs> but no, Toronto was so much fun. We only spent a night there. So we went to like that mansion that has a ton of movies filmed there. 
whatever it's called. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Not Drake's house. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Roma. And we went yeah. to a bunch of cool bars uh, like on uh, Queen and King Street. But it was just a cool mm-hmm. city. And the Blue Jays were in the uh, playoffs that year, like 2015. So it was like really cool vibe. Everybody was really welcoming. It was awesome. <laughs> Canadians. Canadians. All nice. <laughs> so how does your journey begin? Like growing up in Toronto, mm-hmm. like what is it? growing up was it like a show you watched or maybe a play you went to that got you into thinking about this crazy world of hollywood okay this is going to be the weirdest answer you could probably expect from me but (laughs) in grade eight i was such a huge jim morrison fan i was this massive doors fan (laughs) and i read that he went to film school at at berkeley no at ucla i read he went to film school and i went you could go to film school (laughs) and so I in high school I did everything and I wanted to do everything and I think film was the only thing that allows you to act right you know like just allows you to do so many things at once wow so right from right from the grade eight you knew that was gonna be something did you have an idea like what facet that you wanted to go towards No, no. I've come out so many times in my career as a, I came out as an actress when I was 33. I came out as a writer when I was a little bit older than that, a stand up after that. So I'm one of these multi-potentialites. We don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. You know, you keep it fresh. Like I love talking to people that have done so much because it maybe it keeps you more in tune, like, you know, into your career because you're, you have the, all these different ventures that you can sort of go off into Mm -hmm. Wow. So what was that first step? So grade eight, you knew Jim Morrison Mm -hmm. inspired you. So what was that first step from there? Did you do anything in high school? Like, did you start doing any theater or anything? Well, uh, yes, I was in community theater and I was, listen, I grew up in a hood here called Jane and Finch, which is so, so it's like the, the poorest part of Canada pretty much. So it's not like, you know, I had any connections or anything like that. I just, I think I just gravitated to every art form to survive. So I, you know, I was in band. <laughs> I was in, I was uh, in community theater. I was in, as the phot- photographer for the year, but I just kept going. Like I didn't stop. I was like a workaholic for, for the arts, you know? Um, and then, and then, yeah, I just applied for film school in my graduating year and it was harder to get in at the time than law school. I, uh, we have, we had at the time, like, I don't know, six programs across Canada wow. uh, for filmmaking. Cause this was 1987. Remember? Right? Yeah, no, that's true. The States were the same now, way. There was really, even in yeah. the eighties, there was only like New York, Chicago, Austin, LA, maybe mm-hmm. like Seattle or something, but no, there wasn't much. Well, now there's like six film schools in every town. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they literally told me, Oh, don't even don't even go to film school. Like you will, you will never get in. But I had this really high, I'm, I'm like, uh, my nickname in high school was Brainiac. So I, I had this really high average. I'm like, I'll go to film school if I want to go to film school. Um, and yeah, I, I got in and I never learned anything at all about script supervision, the profession that I, I became internationally known yeah. for eventually. Didn't even know it existed until afterwards. I could tell you that story too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, th- that's what I think. It's so cool. I think so many people get it into it for a certain, hey, I want to do blank. And then they just yeah. find this different art form like Vernon Wells, who's been like a legendary bad guy in so many movies. Uh-huh. When I was talking to him, he's like, I just wanted to be a background guy. And he's like, <laughs> he was in some Australian commercial, I think. And he was in the background drinking beer. And the director was like, hey, you come up. And he was like, I really don't want to do this. And then even after he was in a few things, he still didn't want to be in front of the camera. He just wanted to be behind, but he just like, I guess, cause he's like, all right, people like me doing this. So I'll keep doing it. (laughs) Cool. I'm trying to think if I ever worked with him, I guess I'm so bad at that. Every time I go to work on something, I don't, I usually don't know names. So I'll ask my friends, is this anybody? (laughs) (laughs) So how did, how did, let's get into that. How did script supervision like, How did that become a thing for you? Okay, so I couldn't land on what I wanted to do in film. And in my graduating year of film school, I had won this National Apprenticeship Award where you could pick. Um, And uh, I picked editing because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I knew I really loved editing. Uh, And then I got to the cutting room. I I had this apprenticeship at the National Film Board, which is documentary. It's a big documentary organization up here. But um, 
it wasn't like in film school when when we we used to edit on Steenbeck's and like I'm old, right? We used to edit with like <laughs> scissors sometimes. Um, we you know I got and we used to edit in groups, like we would, everyone would be cutting at the same time. Once I got to work as an assistant editor in this apprenticeship program, I was by myself, or maybe there was one person, you know, in the room with me and it was making me crazy. I was like, this is not for me. I'm, I'm more extroverted than this. Um, yeah. So I went to my mentor and I said, listen, I, I, you know, I love editing, but I can't take being by myself all day. Uh, she said, I said, I think I want to be on set. And she said, why don't you become a script supervisor? And I said, what's that? And (laughs) she said, well, there's a gig tomorrow. It was like a Queens university master's thesis film. Uh, (laughs) They're like, they'll put you up, they put the whole crew up like in this one house and they'll pay you. They're paying like a hundred bucks a day. Um, don't worry, you'll be fine. You know, editing, you'll be fine. So I bought a book. Pappy Miller had a book, um, Script Supervision and Continuity. I read it overnight and it was like love at first sight. I was able to help the director with everything, coverage and eyelines and even the actual continuity. Like, listen, I'm so disorganized in life. I couldn't believe that I could you know, do everything because it's a massive job. Right. But it was love at first sight. And then I really just kept working. (laughs) No, it is such a massive job. So what in like, obviously different sets, different directors, maybe they want different things. What is like the average that you have to focus on during a day of shooting? Well, that's a really great question. So yes, every director asks something different of you and there's still a baseline technical you know, proficiency that you have to hit. I don't have a photographic memory. I have shit. Sorry. Can we swear? I have bad eyesight and a horrible memory. So I, I have to be really aware of what I'm looking for and I'm always looking at the cutting points. So you can't remember most of everything, but you have to know what's important. So the advantage I had going in is like, I know exactly what I'm watching for. I'm watching for the cutting points. And even when the director doesn't know where they're going to cut, I have some idea where they're going to cut. Right. So yeah, that, that it, it means your brain is on all day. So, you know, you're talking 12, 16 hour days on some movies, you know, I've had a, I've clocked a few 23 hour days for sure. And your brain is always on. It's, it's intense, but yeah, you, you learn, you just learn um, to focus on what's important and then, and then to do what the director needs from you. Cause every director needs something different from you. Like I can, get into specific examples it's wildly different yeah (laughs) so uh, when it comes to like the script of it are you (laughs) like you have the script in front of you while they're speaking and making sure that they're saying the right lines Yeah. So it's a whole dance with your eyes and hands. And it's because you're, you're looking at the monitors because now we shoot with multiple cameras. So however many cameras, if it's an action movie, you're at least looking at four cameras, maybe more. You've got your script. um, You've got your computer because you're taking stills as well of of the frames that are popping up. Um, If you do that, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And then I, I'm making notations by hand about when they turned and when they stood and what lines they changed to what. Um, So yeah, you're doing five things at once always. Wow. No, because I never knew you like guess by titles sometimes. So it's so cool when I get to talk to people that I've never talked to to get the ins and outs. Because this actor that I'm helping write a book, this guy Larry Hankin, he's been like a ton of things, but he told me I'm breaking bad because he's dyslexic. So he always over the years have tried to get not a lot of lines like together. So uh Vince uh, Gilligan liked his audition. So because of that, he gave him a monologue in his scene Mm -hmm. and he was like dreading it. So he's like, I do the monologue. I try the best I can. I'm done. I'm like, whoa, I did it. And then he goes, oh, and then this script lady comes over and he just (laughs) handed me my thing. And he's like, there are so many red circles on there of lines I missed it's it's a whole art too about working with actors right because everyone's got different and i have worked with actors with like severe learning disabilities for lines uh i won't tell you who on suits but one of one of the major actors on suits of season one until he got a personal assistant to run lines with him i was literally parked by the camera and i would just call out one line at a time wow it was and, and every actor needs something different from you too. So, you know, for some actors, we have to put post-it notes and hide the lines on set and you have to know what's important and what's not important to correct. And, you know, cause, and usually the writer's right there to say, can you please get them to say it like this? Yeah. <laughs> now you yeah. think people think people in Hollywood are like on this pedestal, but they could have horrible childhood. I couldn't believe when I listened to an interview with Joey Pantaleone, he like, he grew up in Jersey and, uh, 
he uh he didn't know how to read he only learned how to read through doing theater classes in high school which is crazy oh wow yeah yeah but obviously you know uh if there's a talent that you have that people need they'll work it they'll work with it you they'll work with it yeah yeah so right in the beginning so when you're doing this you love it after reading that book and you catch on because you look at the early credits that you have they are like like you said documentary ones there's one like the leonardo marie curie oh yeah so everybody in history uh isaac newton (laughs) everyone you cover Oh, those were so those were actually uh, children's specials for HBO. So those were scripted. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we shot them in Italy and Ireland. Those were sort of my first overseas. I've worked in 10 countries now, but those were that was my (laughs) it's it's wonderful. Like the whole world is a film family, right? So how did it all start? So you did that. And then you stayed in that house, you're making 100 bucks. So from there, (laughs) what was like the what was like the turning point that you got to be going overseas within a couple of years. So back then we didn't have the internet. So <laughs> the only way to get work was literally to hustle. So to send faxes <laughs> and to like, so I used to read the trades and I always tell, like I train script supervisors now all over the world, but I always tell them to do the equivalent modern day of what I did. I would read the trades, see what was in development. And if I connected with something about it. So with, with those ones, for example, I speak Italian and I'm oh. it, it, I'm an Italian citizen, so it wouldn't have been hard to get my work permit. It, in fact, it wasn't hard because it was a Canadian co-production. But I wrote to them to say, I speak Italian. I can converse with your crew. I had I only had a few credits by then, but and but I faxed the producer this letter, and he said I was hired before he met me because like I I wrote this like professional fax cover letter. <laughs> it was very funny. But yeah, we really clicked. He called me into his office for an interview and he's like, oh yeah, how are we not going to bring Daniela? So I got to work um, on, you know, his shows were Ireland and Italy. It was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. And then right <laughs> from there, you're just getting all those credits and all that experience like right out of the gate. It Well, not right out of the gate because I graduated film school during a recession. It's something that modern day kids graduating film school, um, even though it is a recession, film never stops. Like we Mm. just, it's a machine now. There's no, like we used to have these, oh, save your money for the downtime. Yeah. No downtime now. (laughs) It's basically like you just, you can, you have to learn how to say no to stuff now. Right. Uh, But so the first three years I wasn't working a lot and then I got tech war which is like the world's worst show ever but it was like my first union show and i'm gonna write a tell-all book about shatner because he was so mean to me but well i could see that there's so many people that you're like i can see that when people say about like certain actors or actresses i'm like i get that or directors it's like that makes sense I and I I usually don't say that about anybody, but it was so extreme, and I was like 23 at the time. It was crazy. It was awful. I didn't know. Like it was my indoctrination into set life, right? (laughs) Right off the bat, baptism by fire. Just like there's no way. Yeah, and then yeah, and so no. So you're doing all the HBO ones, and then what was the first like? So obviously you did the the Tech War, which was a TV series, like you just said. (laughs) But after that was what was like the first like. I don't know, like Hollywood oh, the movie first... or like big, bu- big budget that you worked on? Well, the first thing that that really uh, made my career wasn't big budget at all. It was my Big Fat Greek Wedding. So oh, nice. we shot that. <laughs> we shot that for $5 million. Uh, that's nothing with a huge cast like that. So what had happened was I had just gotten into IOTSE, which is our big union for film. I was in a different union before that. We had we have two other unions in Canada. And uh, I was like, okay, now I'm IOTSE. And I was getting these huge offers because we're always short of people in the script department. And uh, they offered me this huge, huge Stallone movie called Avenging Angelo. Probably never heard oh, of yeah, it. Oh, right? I've heard of it. But I had read this script and I was mortified. Like I'm Italian and I know he's Italian, but the script really offended me as an Italian human being. And I, I kind of made the mistake of phoning the producer saying, uh, I, can, I can't even come in for an interview. I'm so offended by your script. I never did that again because that producer never called me in. But then the, that same day I had the interview for Greek Wedding and I, I read that script and I went, this is going to be huge. Like I I read it going, everyone's, you know, and I loved it, even though it was a third, it was going to pay me a third of what the Stallone movie I was going to pay. But I was like, I'm so in. And I, and I was competing with a Greek script supervisor too. I remember that. I remember thinking, oh, she's going to get it. She's Greek. I like begged for the job and they're, they were like, Oh, you're so into this movie. I was like, yes, this is because I am a comedy script supervisor ultimately. And I learned that around that time. 
Wow. And so, yeah, so that now that after that, every sort of comedy, you know, I'd get random calls. I got a random call one day from a director in Montreal. She's like, I looked on IMDb. I saw you did Greek Wedding. Can you get on a train and do my movie in Montreal? <laughs> so I did. Yeah. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what people see. They're like, hey, I want this kind of vibe. And maybe just having all those people that were involved. And comedy is actually harder than drama to shoot. Um, I worked on a movie called A Simple Favor with Paul Feig. And Paul Feig is like one of my favorite directors, right? So I hadn't met him at this point. And I was going in for the interview. I had just done like an 18-hour day. uh, And my interview with him was like at 8 in the morning. And I was like, okay, I'm going in. It was like two hours after I wrapped this 18-hour day. I was like, Paul, I just think you're the best director and I want to work with you on this. And it was a psychological thriller, of course. And he said, okay, but I just need to warn you that I make script supervisors cry, which I find I could, I found hard to believe. I was like, yeah, right. Cause he's the nicest man on the planet. And he said, uh, no, really? Cause I'm going to shoot this like a comedy. And I went and I slammed the table and I went, bring it. Cause like, <laughs> I will go to the wall for comedy. And we just like that. We just hit it. He's like my favorite director I've ever worked with. We just had so much fun on that movie. And he did direct it like a comedy. It was so much improv and so many, you know, just trying so many things. It was great. That's awesome. When did, uh, were you always into comedy like growing up? You know, I think, I think I, I think I, okay. So I had a, (laughs) I had a very terrible marriage for about two years and it was so extreme. I went like, I've seen some shit like throughout my life, you know, because of where I grew up, because of the film industry in the nineties, anyone who's been through the film industry pre to pre aughts, pre 2000 has seen some shit because there was no regulation of anything, right? There was a lot of sexual harassment. There was a lot of bullying. There was, there's a lot of everything. So then I had gone through this super traumatic marriage to a former child actor and it was extreme and and I think I found comedy right after that like Greek wedding was was literally before I, I married like literally right the day before my wedding we wrapped Greek wedding <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but like when I came out of those two years of the marriage just everything became about comedy like everything so I think it's survival and just joy and coping you know did right away you start doing stand-up because that was on no I started doing stand-up in 2008 because I was, you know, first I had to come out as an actress. I had to like, there's so many, you know, I I love when people find themselves later in life because we can keep finding ourselves all the way till we die, right? Yeah. And and yeah, I just, you know, at the age of 33, after my divorce, I started acting. And then I realized um, I was getting really character-y roles and um, I I didn't discover stand-up till I went to Second City and... And then I was like, oh, my first, it was just like with script supervision, my first stand-up set, I'm like, oh, this is what I, this is for me. Yeah. So yeah, I did it for eight years. Now I, I'm a comedy screenwriter, but I, you see, I keep, I keep doing, I keep reinventing, but that's, that's what, cool. You, that's what life survival. is like, you're right. Like metamorphosis, <laughs> like every so often you, and that's something those eight years are something you're going to have forever. And then there might be something in five years yeah. like that, that, that pops up and then it just helps you evolve. Well, it's like I was talking to Paul Feig about this. I didn't know he was a stand-up before he he wrote Freaks and Geeks and before he became a director. And I, he said that that those years – and he was a touring stand-up. He said those years were seminal. And I think that's how he met Judd Apatow. And so he's like, people don't realize the impact, like your time in stand-up, however finite it is, has on your future creativity. And it's so true. <laughs> yeah, there's a ton of people that you don't think of as stand-up, like Michael Keaton did stand-up. Yeah, yeah. There's like so many people and you're like – Really? And you cut your teeth because it's, it's not easy. Oh, my God. I do have – you just made me remember the Boondock Saints. Have, so do you know that movie? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I script supervised the Boondock Saints, and that was nonstop comedians on set. So there was, of course, uh, Billy Conley, just who was always on and just always, like, doing stand-up between takes. But – Everyone would visit sets. So Harlan Williams would visit set. And of course, uh, Bob Marley, the, the comic, was, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, was in the movie. So all their friends would come to set every day. So <laughs> I think that had an impact on me. I was super shy. Like if you've ever seen the documentary overnight, I'm in it for some flash frames. And A, I'm quite huge. I was like a big, you know, it was like when I was going through my terrible marriage. But I, um, but I look at how shy I was. I was like not speaking in any of the clips, surrounded by these giant personalities. And they were amazing to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so cool that they all came out. And that was all, 
most of this obviously shot in 10 different countries, but a lot of the movies they're in Toronto based, right? Yeah. And I had, you know, how lucky was I? I had no clue that Toronto would become this center because it, it, it was kind of in the 80s because we, we were like a tax credit haven. Uh, but then later on, it just it just, you know, it, it's one of the biggest filmmaking centers in the world. And who knew that that was going to happen? I had no clue. It's Vancouver. <laughs> Toronto and then uh, Hollywood. This guy, I just talked to Gary Chalk. He told me that. He's like, mm-hmm. that's what it is. He's like, it's Vancouver. And then we call that Hollywood South, like the regular Hollywood. And, and at, yeah. And, and Atlanta. Atlanta's huge. It's yeah. the busiest center. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's good that they have those film hubs like that because you get so many people that are local that had that opportunity. Like Hallmark is all over Vancouver. What are some yeah. of the things locally that is Toronto based? In Toronto, well, Netflix built a studio here. Oh, yeah. um, there, you know, I, I've been working for. I think I've worked for every major studio now. But you know, Warner Brothers is always doing something big here. I did. I do stuff with New Line, like we did Shazam up here. So oh, there's yeah. always like at least one huge movie shooting here. And I'll, I'll, some, I'll usually do it. There's a few of us that sort of rotate around them. But I'm always like just looking for the comedies. Yeah, no, everybody shoots here. Lionsgate, yeah, and a lot of TV too. <laughs> the comedies that's who you're looking for but then along the way like you did like gossip oh yes oh my god (laughs) okay so i (laughs) i can't remember if we shot gossip before boondock saints or the other they were around the same time gossip oh well it could have been the same time 99 boondocks came out 2000 was gossip okay because norman reedus was in both and i can't remember where i met him first But it he was so great, and James Marsden, like what a great cast! Lena Headey, Kate Hudson, like these were uh, Joshua Jackson. These were a lot of their earliest movies, Uh, and we had so much fun on Gossip, like so much. (laughs) (laughs) That was a big break for me, actually, because I I, that was at the point where now I was getting called for you know thirty million dollar studio features, yeah. Yeah, That's which sounded like a lot to me back then. But still, oh no, I know. And then Shazam probably was what. Uh, well, that was only like a hundred. I, oh, I did okay. work on <laughs> a Suicide Squad was much higher, but I was only like action unit on that. So. Oh, cool! So yeah, you worked on yeah. Suicide Squad in Atlanta, or yeah. did they shoot in Toronto? The first one was shot in Toronto. Oh, okay. The second one, I think, might have been Atlanta or something. Yeah, it was. I talked to a guy that did like the fight coordinator on it, and he was down in Atlanta when I talked to him. But uh, yeah, was it Bobby Brown? No, no it was a uh, Richard Bobby. Norton. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's an old martial arts guy that's in like a million of those B martial arts movies. But the cool thing was him and Chuck Norris were like best buddies. And the reason he came over to the country was in Australia. He was a bodyguard. If anybody came over bands, he would yeah. be the guy rolling stones. But it was Linda Ronstadt that convinced oh him God. to come to the United States. She goes, come on, Richard, just come for my summer tour. Then you can go back. You know, you don't have to stay here forever. And then he goes, and I stayed there forever. I never went back. <laughs> I love stunt coordinators. I, you know, like I be, I love doing comedies, but I will do the occasional blockbuster action movie because I just love working with stunt guys and I would love working with VFX guys and girls, like women and men. But like, yeah. I just love their passion. They're so into it. There's just so much that has to go right. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's so yeah. like it's like math it's like engineering like into all this it's so great that's right there's vertical layers and horizontal layers. like it's it's a good mental challenge for me <laughs> <laughs> so then uh so jason x is right around this time which that movie was <laughs> i think the coolest thing about that movie was that was before all of this right you shot that mm-hmm. before uh even yes. probably boondock saints um Close it was after because oh it was after but okay. But what was interesting, the reason I took Jason, because you'll never see any horror movies on my, I'm not like a horror movie person, but the, you know, it was so interesting. Um, It was the first, people don't remember this. It was the first movie completely digitally um, done in post. So there was a lot of visual effects stuff I had to learn. Uh, And they used, if you watch the the making of Jason X uh, 
by any means necessary hilarious title of the making of because <laughs> it's like ultimately a you know a friday the 13th movie in space but the uh, you know it talks about how they were the first movie ever it was a 10 million dollar budget which was really low and yet really high for like that kind of franchise um and the director who's no longer with us was a total sweetheart yeah. and his mentor was cronenberg so cronenberg's got an acting debut in it so there were a million reasons to do that movie but nothing to do with the actual movie <laughs> yeah it was pretty cool the only behind the scenes that i watched well i want to watch a documentary but i watched the one that was like probably like 10 15 minutes that that's part of the crystal lake like the oh yeah 12 movies but yeah like todd farmer wrote it but it's pretty cool cronenberg's yeah. like i'll be in the movie but i have to get killed which is yes so awesome. yes and he wanted a really good kill too. He had a good kill. It was yeah. awesome. No, it was so cool. And I love the fact the way they made the reason they made that movie was the fact that everything was still they couldn't figure out even though New Line owned Freddie and Jason now at this point for 5 6 years already, they couldn't figure out how to put the movie together or get it greenlit. So they're like, "You know what? Let's just do a Jason movie, but we can't mess with it. The continuing. So let's just do it 400 years in the future." Todd pitched the idea of space. Oh my God. Like, and also, you know, it actually ends up being doable on a low budget because everything's green screen. So we shot it all in one place. We shot it in the same studio where we shot suits. It's it's a an Air Force base in Toronto. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So you were on set for so in that in that type of movie, you're looking at the way people like because I know Kane in the behind the scenes, he he hated the fact that he got shot. Because they had to remember how many bullet holes. So that was you yeah. remembering like. Well, in his, in his case, it was in that case, it was wardrobe and and special effects because they had to rig the bullet, the blood and, the you know, how, you know. Yeah, it, it that wasn't necessarily me. I was just I would just double check that. Yeah. But they would have to rig his suit and we'd shoot out of order. So they'd have to go, OK, which how many bullet holes at this point yeah. in the movie? I, Kane was hilarious. You know that. OK, side note. I don't know if you know this about Kane, but he's a member of Mensa. Oh, nice. uh, so, it, so it's like that, you know, extreme intelligence organization. And he kept asking me to join Mensa. And I was like, well, how do I even know if I qualify? He gave us all Mensa tests. He goes, I bet you're going to score the highest. I didn't. The sound guy scored the highest, but I was Mensa level. He was right. I didn't join though, but he's so big on that stuff. It was, it was very funny. <laughs> well, that tells how intelligent he is because all of yeah. the stunts that he's like created over the years that he's not even <laughs> like doing himself, like how great then the fact, his story is great because he got burned if i got burned doing something even though it was my job i don't think i could do it again and he's <laughs> yeah, like hit like three years later he's doing a full burn in uh part seven just like crazy oh my god oh my god <laughs> yeah so so like a big thing so obviously usa shot a lot up there because go covert affairs was up there did that help you get suits too well, it was the same. So USA actually did Tech War, a little known fact. Oh, really? Because that was, that was their first show up in Toronto, I believe. It was 1993, That only lasts that, one year because that... I used to watch USA Network all the time. I remember all those shows like Pac Blue and like La Femme Nikita that would be on after wrestling. <laughs> oh, I yeah. I remember Tech They shot War. that here too. Oh, they did? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you might have been you might have been really young. So Tech War, they did four Tech War movies, and I didn't work on those. And then they did the series, so they were uh, here for a few years doing that terrible show. They're revamping Tech War as an animated show now. By the way, it's like a Shatner money grab, but um, <laughs> but uh, worst show ever. And by the way, if any, I have memorabilia from Tech War. If anyone would like it, <laughs> I keep trying to give it away. No one would like it. Um, but yeah, so so no, I I got by the time I I got interviewed for covert i can't remember i don't even know why because i didn't know there are these incredible producers hypnotic there doug lyman's company produced it right they had done the oc and he doug lyman wasn't directly involved but his two uh producers that co-own the company with him kick-ass people really good um and i can't remember how or why i got it but they had interviewed like 11 people and they're like you're the one you're the one for for covert and covert was quite a hard show actually if you if you see the the level of stunts and vfx and covert for a one-hour tv show pretty high um and they were going across the hall because those sh suits was shot across the hall one year later to do suits and they're like we just got to take you with us you're going to love this one it's comedy right and <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> I had to. I had to go of over. Of course. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what is it like? Cause I've talked to like TV directors and like going in there for like, or even like uh, cinematographers, if you go in for like a one-off. So like on some of these shows, I don't know if I'm sure you've done that, right? Like just went in for an episode or two episodes. Is that hard to adapt? what's really hard for our department is if we have to go in for a day because you have to know the whole script all the continuity and you have to know what day you're landing on so Uh. i hate doing day but doing one episode is usually okay i i often do the pilot like i'll do the pilot and then i'll fo because i will like then go work on a big movie instead right (laughs) in toronto and it's not like this around the world like i think in the states in the states on the east coast you get paid the same whether you're working in tv or movies but in most of canada in all of canada there's a huge pay raise if you do movies over tv so there's not really an incentive to to keep working in tv unless they'll pay your movie rate you know? <laughs> and they're not gonna do yeah that. which some well sometimes they offer nice. but it, it just i have to decide if it's worth it right because it's longer they're longer gigs too oh the movies yeah that, some some can no t TV shows can be well. Okay, the Shazam was a long movie. It was it was like eight months or nine months because we went back and did we did we we did like six months at first, and then we went back and did two and a half months of reshoots. So and that was all budgeted and planned. It was like always something you know Warner uh, New Line was going to do. I can't remember who shot that New New Line, right? Yeah, it was always something that they had budgeted <laughs> for. But you know, mo- most TV series you're working at least nine months, and it's long. It's 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 a grind. It's a lot. Well, you're shooting a, what an episode a week episode. Well, usually for a one hour show, you would get seven or eight days, depending like covert was seven or eight days plus two days of second unit, whereas suits would be seven days. You know, it was an easy show. Yeah. Wow. And then at what point, obviously there's so many credits that you have, but like, when was it that you were like, I want to take the information that I've learned over the years and like start giving back, like doing the director whisper, which I love that name of it because to be honest, <laughs> before I chatted with you, I could have Googled it and probably read something that said like, this is what Daniela does day in, day out. But I'd like to hear from you, but I think that's such a good name now, even better because that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, literally and figuratively, right? So it came out of a joke. The title, that's my company, Director Whisper Inc. And the name of my course. I, I So first of all, I want to say I started training people before I was anything. So I started training people three years into my career. And the reason I did that is because uh, it's the reason I teach comedy writing. It's the reason I teach everything I've ever taught. I, I learn from teaching. So three years into my career, I started training script supervisors, A, because there were no reputable programs at the time. And I thought, damn, like this is a six-figure career. It's like an easy six-figure career that you can make the money in six months, right? So you can, so for me, that meant the other six months I could write, I could act, I could do whatever I wanted in those other, I could teach. I love teaching. So um, I started teaching in 1994, Wow, <laughs> 94, 95. Yeah. So a lot of my students are my, con- like from those years are my contemporaries and a bunch of them went on to become directors because it is a position where you will get promoted to director, especially if you work a lot in television. And I do a whole video about why that is on YouTube. But Yes. So I started teaching really, really early on and then became a better script supervisor for it. Uh, And then over the years, people knew me as that person who trains in Canada and people would fly in from all over the world to uh, take my, not all over the world, actually from the States and the Caribbean. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that was it. Right. But then once lockdown hit in 2020, I was like, I got to keep teaching. And how do I do this? And so I took it all online. Now I have students in 16 countries, over 300 students trained with me in the last two years. And here's the, here's the thing. Everybody's working because the world is on fire and they're just making more movies instead of less. So, you know, in the UK where you think, oh, they're going to be affected by the war, they're shooting like, like there's no tomorrow. They're just, people are getting pulled like on, I have a student, I won't say what movie, I'm not allowed to say what movie. It's a massive action movie. She just started training in November. She was an assistant because in the UK they have script assistants and she got pulled in to do second unit in Italy and Spain on this massive movie. So not even a year in. So this is what's happening right now. Yeah. Wow. Is it just the lack of like over the years did you just notice that like, hey, when like when you went out for an audition or for it, did you notice that there was only like a handful rather than you'd expect like a bunch of people? It's a high burnout position, as you can expect. So um I I (laughs) 
I would warn people like pace yourself like because in my 20s I didn't pace myself it's so easy to get sick in film in general but to get you know script supervisors literally burn out within 15 years and I'm told the number is now seven years so if you're listening to this and you want to be a script supervisor just pace yourself because you can make six figures in six months do that don't try to work all year don't sacrifice your marriage your family or whatever it's just movies you'll you'll make more (laughs) (laughs) when did you learn that when did you learn not to burn out like in the 90s like early on or no I, I learned the hard way. So in 2000 and when did that, 2007, I got, uh, well, we thought I had cancer. It didn't turn out, it turned out to be benign, but I had a cancer scare. And in Canada, it takes a while. Like, it's not like they, you know, it, there's a little bit of a, a backlog in the health system. So it took six weeks to figure out if I had cancer or not. I had surgery to remove a tumor. And turned out I didn't have cancer. It was benign. They got rid of it. But in those six months, I couldn't work because I was healing from my surgery. And I was like just rethinking my life going, was it worth it to give all my 20s to being on set? I don't think so. So I became really conscious, really, really conscious. And I learned to say no to a lot of stuff and really pick you know, the the films and TV shows that really spoke to me and just really take my time off because you can like you can. It's it's there's so much money. Yeah. That's crazy. So what? So to your comedy writing, what are some of the shows that influenced you? Like, was it shows you watched growing up or is there like writers that you look up to? It's interesting because I don't think I have, I think like everything is my, like, look, I love, I love European cinema, which has nothing to do with comedy. Yeah. I love every kind of, every kind of sitcom probably that was ever made. And, and, you know, not only the live to tape, but like, yeah, I, I, I just used to, as a kid, I haven't devoured television as an adult the way I did as a kid ever and I always say it's because I'm always on set like when am I gonna do that right but as a kid in the 70s and 80s of course like think of all the shows that were big I watched them all right like um and uh so I don't really have something that I say that's what that's the that's what I do because we even my own comedy it's just stories from my life it's like I was a very R-rated comic obviously I can't write R-rated screenplays because you can't sell those or market those as much but you know I I, and R-rated only in the sense that I was honest about sexuality and all kinds of stuff on stage that I could never ever say on set and when they when those two worlds kind of collided like it was overlapping when I was on suits they'd be like do some of your act I'm like I can't I'll get fired (laughs) I'll get I'll get a warning shot from HR. <laughs> but so so some of the some of the directors would just come to the show and see it there cuz then that was, you know, that was an acceptable place. Oh my gosh. To do it. So what are some of the shows that you're writing are they like 30 minute like multicam or like I've never, it's funny, I train comedy writers and I train a lot of the, uh, most of us here don't write multicam cuz it's not a thing in Canada, but oh, my American it? writers will no, we don't have multicam stages. We've had two shows, King of Kensington, which is like from the 70s. And then there was a show shot here um, called Spun Out with Dave Foley. And they got shut down after a season. I don't know if you remember that. They got shut down because one of the lead actors had installed cameras and was spying on his female tenants. So he was, <laughs> the show was shut down because he was a perv. Basically. Uh, and that, was it somebody had, I know? Like, or was he just? I don't. He's a Canadian. He I don't know his name actually. Must a big improv guy or stand-up guy, but I had to look that up after it's, this. He was he was an improv guy. Yeah, I can't remember his name even. He was like Canadian famous, which is not famous, right? <laughs> I'm Canadian famous. Oh my god, I got stopped in the street. I was in Vancouver last week. I got stopped twice by two different people going, Daniela, I know you from your YouTube videos. I was like. I have 400 subscribers. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> but people, people are watching YouTube. It's so crazy. That's awesome. What do you do on your YouTube videos? Talk about uh, script supervising or R-rated comedy? I talk. <laughs> I talk about comedy writing, script supervision, That's and awesome. entrepreneurship because I have like I train people in all those things. So, so that, it's a weird channel because you're not supposed to mix your topics, but I do. <laughs> you do what you want. No, that's pretty cool. I'll make sure yeah. to put a link in that. No, I think it's so cool oh, that thanks. just all the facets. And I think that's so true. Like reinventing yourself. There's so many different things that you do in your life. Like even looking back on your twenties, obviously you're like, Hey, I work too much. I you know, pretty much burnt out and you teach people that, but those are probably some things that you probably wouldn't have learned and wouldn't have been able to bestow upon people that you're interacting with and be like, Hey, take it easy. I, I went through this. 
Oh, yeah. So besides the actual director whispering, so I teach people, I mean, because there's a few people in the world who who train script supervisors, and we're all different. We all teach it, obviously, from our own perspective. And yeah. mine is really like to become that stealth person on the director's team who they have full trust in so that they will they will communicate with you. They will and you will get what you need from them, which is to make sure that their movie is going to cut together beautifully. And sometimes you can't get that if the director is shutting you out and saying like, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter because they're not seeing what you're trying to say and you're like uh it will matter when you're in the cutting room and this is like ah, you know um so when you can when you can get the trust of the and that's this is why i think this this young girl who just got flown off to italy and and spain to do that i think she she was able to nail that in, during her assistantship like when she was just training because that's the first thing i'm like okay so even before I teach them how to do the job. I teach them what the director does because we have to understand the kind of pressure and the kind of creative things that are just flying around their brain all day so that we can protect that. I always I always used to say my job was protecting the actor's performance because in many ways it is. In many ways, like you're in that inner circle. And if you just say or do something that is out of line, distracting, you can wreck a performance. And a performance is everything. It's everything. You can have this the worst movie in the world, but if it's got a performance, people will watch it just for that, right? So, so yeah, I used to say my job is really to protect the actor's performance, which it is, but it's also to protect the director's sort of mental health and like creative flow. Um, and so I teach that first and then I teach them access and coverage and then I teach them how to do the job, which is an intense amount of paperwork and intense amount of protocol and all that. <laughs> I bet. But that's like, like you said, that's such a, that takes obviously years of practice and like being able to read people because that's gotta be like so hard. Even if somebody like nails a scene and something like the line's wrong or you have to like mm-hmm. know what to do or know what the director Hey, this director might be okay with it because they were sort of close to the line, or that's gotta be tough. And and you know, um, uh, there's so many different kinds of actors, and so you also got to know when to approach them because some of them you can't ever approach. Some you know, some actors surprised me. So my favorite, my favorite was Harvey Keitel. Nice. He was so hard in terms of continuity and if you work with any method actor it's going to be way more difficult your job will be way more difficult because they're never see I said this once and I got in trouble I don't mean it like this I once I said they're never about craft that's not true they're all about being in the moment and just being real which means they can do something 50 different ways and it's it's still achieving the goal they want to hit but you know part of the craft is being able to edit (laughs) into the and Harvey wouldn't even say his lines till several takes in because he wanted to be the character before he said the lines, right? Which is great. Like it's that why he's so good, but it meant a lot of extra work for me, like being on the set and and calling out lines and being, you know, and, and it was, but you know what? It was when it's for that caliber of talent, it becomes so worth it. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So yeah. he would do the scene without saying any words. He would well listen. I I study acting in New York, and it's the same. Like it's you got to be, you got to feel like you got to feel believable to yourself yeah, before yeah. you can make anyone else believe you. And so, you know, and and this was a very tough because I did uh, the path to nine eleven, which was I don't know if you saw that. It was only on air once because they got sued by the Clinton administration, oh. rightfully so. Yeah, um, it was and and um, he Kaitel was the lead, and um, he knew the guy he was playing. And um, he knew some anyway, it was, I can't even get into the politics of what was going on. But um, <laughs> he's he doesn't usually do television. It was a miniseries. So the oh, schedule is, rare, is so yeah. much faster. Yeah. So in movies, you do have more time to explore the scene as an actor. But in movies, it's different. So we shot uh, Path to 9-11 like a movie in the sense that we took more time. But we had five cameras going all the time. <laughs> Jeez. Where'd you study in New York? I study with John Strasberg. Do you know? Do you know his? Oh stuff? yeah. Well, I know the the Lee Strasberg school, so that's a relative. It's his son, but um, John teaches. Uh, he he's like a legacy from his dad, but teaches very differently. So so Steve Buscemi was one of John's students, and so there have some, been some very big actors that studied with John. Nice. His father Lee Strasberg was about sense memory and memory, while well, well, whereas John is about training your imagination, which I freaking love. It's it's. And, and, you know, uh, Harvey studied with Lee. So I knew, I knew what Harvey, I like, I, I kind of, 
know what he was doing and what he needed, obviously. But but uh, yeah, it's that whole the whole New York school is it's, New York is a school for acting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so funny that his son's so different. Yeah, because I just interviewed an actress. So I talked to a lot of people that went to that school. And then there was mm-hmm. the, the female teacher in New York around the same time. It was like Ste- Stella Adler. Yep. She was amazing. Yeah. She taught script analysis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, but with Lee, the actress I talked to was like, I'm in this class and you have like, he's making you pretend to be like you're drooling. She's like, <laughs> you would have all these actors sit there and just lay in the chair, li- like lifeless and drooling for like a half an hour. She's like, I only did it because that's what I had to do. Like to get that notoriety. <laughs> but that's so funny. That's great oh. to be able to work with you. It's cool. His son saw that and was like, I want to be different and imagination. Wow. That's cool. A lot of actors were complaining that they were just going into their traumas all day. And that's not as fun. Cause you know, you go into memory so that you can cry. And listen, I've worked with a ton of actors who studied with his father with Lee and like Laura Dern was in his school. So Harvey, um, Oh, I worked with meatloaf, RIP meatloaf. Uh. And um, he studied a different kind of method, a whole different kind of method where you try on all these pairs of shoes. And if you can find the right pair of shoes, you are that character. He did that kind of method, which is a New York thing. Wow. <laughs> and he was good. And then once he was in those shoes, you you had to speak to him in character. You had to, like, I couldn't give him a continuity note and say, hey, you had the cigar. I, I, I had to call him by his character name. Hey, Freddie, weren't you smoking a cigar earlier? It was like that. Yeah. <laughs> So you have the shoes. That's great. <laughs> oh, man. So, Danielle, I always like to ask this for folks. Obviously, you knew when you saw Jim Morrison in eighth grade that you're into something in this uh, crazy world. But was there anything else that you had on the back burner like that you thought, like, you know what? If this film thing doesn't work out, I can I'm going to try to do blank. Was there anything? No, I did not know what I wanted. Oh, actually, when I was a little kid, I thought I wanted to be the first thing I ever wanted to be was a tap dancer because I used to watch um, Sammy Davis. I used to watch a whole bunch of tap dancers and my mother flipped the hell out. No, you're going to be poor. So it was like, okay, don't be poor. Don't be poor. But um, I I never I mean, I've been writing. I started I I learned to speak English when I was five because I spoke Italian. And uh, the first thing I did was start writing poetry. So so I think writing was always a thing, but I just never thought of it as a job. Like it was just never something that I could think, oh, you can make a living at that. Um, so no, I had nothing. I did ask John Cheadle this question. Cause I asked him like, what would you do? Cause he's, he's, he's great by the way. I, I call him the patron saint of Hollywood. He's such a good human being. But, um, I said, Don, what would you do if you weren't an actor? Cause he told me this intense story about his wife, like who wanted to be an actor and, and she's mixed race, Asian and African-American. And they weren't in the eighties, they weren't writing roles for anybody like that. Yeah. So she, she never, and I said, what would you do if that happened to you? And he said, I think I would do a lot of drugs because <laughs> there's no high like it. There's no high like acting. I, I mean, I know that even not being a full-time actor. Yeah. But you know, from like stand up, like there's that high, like I did improv when we oh, lived yeah. in Portland and it was just <laughs> like this little place, like none of the big like schools. It was just a local one that was started, but it was just high performing in front of these people, even though it's like. 30 people are like just there to see their buddies or drinking. No, there is that high going on stage, but no, I think what Don said and like what you said is really what most of the people I talk to say, they say like, Oh, well I guess this, but that's why you're doing what you're doing because it was your tunnel vision. Cause this isn't an industry that you can just be like, ah, you know what? I'll give it a shot because you're going to have, <laughs> you're going to be only as people that are, the ones like you sending that perfect cover letter fax letter or begging for the <laughs> job. So like that you have to have the hunger. People appreciate that. They really do. And especially when, you know, Greek wedding was an indie film, especially and boondock was an indie film. Can I tell you the boondock story? It was yeah. so funny. I don't know. Is this okay? I know yeah. it's a cult film. That's why like, I have so many students who are like boondock. Tell me more. Boondock oh, everybody when saw, I, yeah. <laughs> When I uh, went in for the interview for that, I was this shy, quiet, large kid. I was 30. Um, And uh, Troy (laughs) said, what you think of my fucking script? Right? Because he swore all the time. And I I said, oh, my God, I loved it. Not realizing it was a comedy. I I knew it was. I thought it was a comedy. But I was like, shit, I hope it's a comedy. Because I said, I laughed so hard. And he went, 
good, you're fucking hired. Cause everyone else said that everyone else said that they were offended. And I was like, it was so funny, that script. Like, it was so crazy. Um, and I was like, oh, thank God it was a comedy. Because if it wasn't, he would have. <laughs> he dodged a bullet there. If it was the opposite. He, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, he was quite a personality. I, lo- I love personalities, especially when I was so meek and quiet. I was like, sure, just surround me with the most out there people. It's great. <laughs> and directors are obviously actors and other people like behind the camera too. But like some directors, like it's a job that it like doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you mean like the, like uh, between, because I have some terrible stories of directors. Uh, there's a director who's no longer with us who died really tragically. Oh. Uh, I won't say who it is, but he was so talented. And uh, we only, he'd only ever made a couple of movies and he was reckless. Like when we were on set, he was so reckless, like sleeping with everybody and like, you know, just taking a lot of drugs. I was like, what are you doing? Cause he was like a middle-aged guy. And he goes, you don't understand the development process is, is hell on an ego. It's like, you're nobody, you're nothing. You spend years just trying to raise the money. And the moment you go into production, you're the king. And he's like, I just want to make use of my time as the king. <laughs> you want to take advantage of it. Like a, like a real king. <laughs> like a real king. Jesus. It was, it was sad because he was so talented and, and it ultimately is what led to his death. So it was sad. Yeah, yeah I'll have to, was... you guys will have to guess which one of my no, million I'll, credits I'll, that is. <laughs> I'll have to think of that. But uh, so you mentioned before, like you wanted people to take your uh, if anybody won your mementos from Tech War. But is that something you thought about? Obviously, that's early on. Was that something you did throughout yeah. your career? Like kept scripts or shirts or things like that oh, well, to give away? At a certain at a certain point, I had to let go of the scripts because they're you know what a script supervisor script is like this thick because you've got all the notes. So I I, I got it's too bad I got rid of Jason X. I got a, a nice offer for that one, but I I and I'm not legally allowed to sell my scripts. But you know what's interesting in the 90s, we never signed NDAs. So uh, after anything after. 2000 and onward but the only script i kept and i still have it is my original line script for my big back greek wedding <laughs> nice. i read that the, the 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 original script the script supervisor script from gone with the wind it was on antiques roadshow and it got sold for thirty three thousand us so you're keeping that those were hand typed yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean that movie meant a lot to me so I, I that's what i kept from greek wedding yeah i have you know they give us a lot of stuff over the years no from tech war they gave us these pins that were like cyber i mean it's kind of interesting if you watch the original tech war which i don't recommend but if you do <laughs> you're gonna go oh my god they predicted a paperless society in 1993 they predicted like so much about what we're living in and i'm like but, you know, Shatner said he had a actually his ghostwriter came to set. He had a ghostwriter. So the ghostwriter predicted it. <laughs> the ghostwriter predicted it. <laughs> How about J- was Jason X? I mean, that was probably a script that you got not uh, when you were like on set. It wasn't one that usually with those movies, they always have a fake name for the movie before it comes out. Oh, but not back then. This was back before it's confidentiality and NDAs. Oh, I yeah, feel like true. the world kind of changed after 2001. Then everybody, okay, listen, like Suicide Squad, there yeah. was the, the name of the movie. Every single character's name was redacted. So like in the script and the script, no one was allowed to have an actual script, not even the script supervisor. So um, they would print out sides that we had to sign out. And like the Joker would be smiley. Like there were fake names for everybody so that it could never get leaked. Wow. And that makes your job that much harder. That means you can only work while you're there. Right. Or. Yeah. Well, you also have to see you also, we also have to take notes home at night and and type out all our notes and everything. So, but um, I'm trying to remember how we did that. It was, it was intense just getting around the, just the 14, you know, 14 lead characters with 14 fake names. Um, You know, smiley, the Joker. That's (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God, that's yeah. awesome. Well, Danielle, I'm so happy we connected. This is so much fun because I never obviously knew it, what your job like fully entailed, but it's so, it's so much like you're, you're right that it would cause burnout. Like just so many different things that you have to keep an eye on all at the same time. Yeah. And dealing with the personalities. I I, I think dealing with the personalities for some people is the hardest part of the oh, job. And so you got to know like, can you tolerate every level of crazy? If you can do that, you're golden. <laughs> you're golden. <laughs> right? Daniela was 
so infectious. Like she had this great energy. She was so funny. She had me laughing so much during the interview. And I love talking about, you know, how she started. The fact that, and we talked about, how about Shatner? Meet Love with the shoes. When he put the shoes on, he was in that character. I love that. That was so great, man. So I'll put all of her links, like I mentioned, Become a Director Whisperer if you want to check that out. And also, if you want to check out her comedy writing, all will be in the episode notes and her YouTube channel. Then also I'll put her social media on there as well if you want to check it out. So your homework, Jason X. I'm sure you've seen it before. I can't wait to talk about it. Because everything behind the scenes with it is pretty interesting. But the movie itself has a lot of fun aspects to it. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.